Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. And he actually is an adult. He's not a student, okay? I know some of you are wondering. He did a great job at 830 service, and I'm excited to hear him again. So let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for uh, your love and grace and mercy. We're so thankful, Father, you brought Jason to us, Lord. We're so thankful for the work he's already doing in the hearts of our kids, Lord. And we just, Lord, we just want to affirm him this morning. Uh, Lord, we just want to thank you that you've brought him to us for the work that he's doing, Father. I want to pray for him specifically right now as he brings the truth of the word of God to our hearts. I pray, Father, that it would be... uh, Lord, just very convicting for us as we hear what you have to say through the Sermon on the Mount. Father, I pray you'd speak clearly to us and through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray we'd be transformed more into your image. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Man, after saying all that, I think I might just read Scripture because I don't know if I can live up to those words. Um, First of all, it's a blessing to be here, and uh, I'm excited. This is uh, a major privilege, but I'm really glad that the missions team is home. I've heard nothing but really good stories. If you haven't heard anything yet, um, hopefully we'll hear some testimonies before long of some of the amazing things that God did in Guatemala. I'm personally glad that everybody's home. My wife came home. I was at home with my three kids all week, well, doing back and forth between home and church. I had a lot of help from Rosemont Baptist Church, so thank you very much. A lot of people came through and offered to help me with, with my kids. But for all those moms or dads out there who wind up in a situation where it's just you with your kids, and you've got three toddlers under five years old or something like that, and you're looking at pulling your hair out and screaming because um, you just can't get them to do what you want, there are three things that get you through that. Three things. Number one is a whole lot of prayer. A whole lot of prayer. All day, incessantly praying. And uh, the second one is an incredibly consistent routine. And the third one is a lot of fruit snacks. You just need (laughs) fruit snacks. So um, bribery does work sometimes. So um, so that's a... I'm really glad Leanne's home, so I have a great appreciation for my wife and all that she does for our kids, but I'm also blessed that she was able to serve the Lord, heard nothing but good things. Pastor Adam gave me the privilege of continuing in his series, the Upside Down series in Matthew chapter 6. We will be there this morning, so if you want to go ahead and open, you can, Um, which is a major blessing. He could have said, you know what, Jason, I want you to preach. Um, pick anything you want, just stay away from my series, don't touch my series. But he, um, he, he let me pull this section out and he trusted me to teach this and um, it's a great honor and I appreciate that. Um, so I'm really, really excited about it. But I'd like to open with prayer and ask the Lord to be with us as we read through this scripture and see what he has to say to us through it. I hope it's a challenge to you if I can articulate it and um, keep you interested in hearing what this has to say. It's been a major challenge in my life. It's continually a challenge in my life. Um, so we'll see what the Lord has to say to us all this morning through that. Let's pray. God, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for speaking these words into our lives that you speak through this scripture, through our wise counselors, through our parents, through life circumstances, through the voice of your Holy Spirit. You're leading us through this life. You've not abandoned us here to walk on our own. 
We thank you, God, that you are with us. You are the Emmanuel, God, in us to, to live the new life that you've created in us. God, I pray as Christians, as a body of Christ here in LaGrange, that we will not just survive this life, not just live this life, but we will thrive here, that um, we will live with our mind in the kingdom of God, and that we will redeem this time for the glory of God. Thank you for this work that you've started in us and that you've promised to complete it. God, I pray that your spirit would speak through this word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 and 34. I'd like to read those to start off this morning. In verse 33, Jesus said, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is a really awesome passage, and if there's nothing else you get out of this message this morning, the number one message that I'm going to share with you today is that we need to continually and desperately seek the face of Jesus Christ on a day-to-day basis. That word, seek, actually means seeking. It is to keep on seeking, continually seeking Jesus Christ. And if you were to jump to chapter 7, verse 7, he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. All of those words end in ing in, in Greek. It's to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking on that relationship with Christ. So if you get nothing else this morning, it is to draw close to Jesus Christ because that is the key to the Sermon on the Mount. Nothing here will be completed in our life unless we are drawing close to Christ. One verse that I want to read in addition to all this is from Exodus. You don't have to go there. I'm going to read it to you in Exodus chapter 33 verse 15. Moses was uh, coming down off the mountain after hearing from God, receiving the Ten Commandments. God tells Moses, you need to go down because all the people there on the ground, they're worshiping a false god. I have just saved them from slavery and from bondage. I'm providing food for them every day. I'm giving them water from rocks. I'm doing all these amazing things for them, proving to them that I'm their God and I love them and I care about them. But yet they are going after a false god. And Moses comes down, becomes incredibly angry at seeing the people worshiping the golden calf and he shatters the Ten Commandments and then God calls him back up and has him remake the Ten Commandments and then um, God tells Moses, he says, listen, I'm so angry with these people, I can't be with them because I might just kill them because of their disobedience and idolatry. And Moses, and God says, I'm, I'm going to send you on in your journey, but I'm not going with you. I'm going to send an angel to go with you um, instead of me. Because if I'm too close, I'm probably just going to kill everyone. And um, this is the wrath of God against sin. And then Moses appealed to God, much like Jesus does at the right hand of the throne of God for us. And he appeals to God and says, please do not send us out without your presence. Please do not send us out. We need you. We don't want to go another step in this desert unless you are with us. And in chapter 33, verse 15, he says, Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I, and your people may be distinguished from all other people who are on the face of the earth? Moses said, this is the distinguishing factor 
that sets us apart from everybody else on planet earth, it is that you are with us. And when we're talking about living, in an, uh, living upside down in a culture that teaches us and communicates to us and shows us how to live an opposite life, that, that, a life that is opposite of bringing glory to God. Our culture teaches us and trains us to live for ourselves, to go after our own glory, to go after our own desires, to seek after our own. And God is telling us the exact opposite. And what sets us apart in this world is not that we just do differently, but that we have the presence of Christ in us, working through us. And we should all come to this point, and this is what I hope for everyone this morning, is that we get to this point where we fall to our knees and we say, God, I don't want to go another step in the journey that you've called me to, to walk unless you're with me. I don't want to go another step unless you are walking before me and coming behind me. You're preparing the way for me and preparing those divine appointments for me and you're leading me through life and you're coming behind me cleaning up the mess that I make after I go through this life. And so God, I need you walking with me in this life. We've got to get to this point. And I think when I read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, this sermon that Jesus is preaching Uh, I see that God cares not only for our spiritual needs, but also our physical needs. As Adam's been preaching through this, he's talked about the great spiritual blessings that God's given to us. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are gentle. Blessed are those who are who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. And what are the blessings that we receive are comfort and inheriting the earth, satisfaction, receiving mercy, seeing God. These are things that can only come from God. And then we see that uh, God cares about our hearts and that He wants us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the earth and our personal relationships. He cares about our prayers. He cares about our giving. He cares about our fasting. And these are things that are that come from our hearts and the spiritual things in our lives, but he also cares about our physical needs, uh, which he brings about in chapter 6. He brings, up, uh, he brings up food and clothing and the things that we see and the things that we treasure in life, the things that we can touch. All these things he brings up and he shows us how to put those things in perspective. And as Jesus is sharing here in Matthew chapter 6, I can almost hear his words he said, listen, I'm preaching to you, and I really want to stop for a second here in chapter 6. He didn't say chapter 6, but he said, I'm going to talk to you for a second. And uh, I want to share, I want to just kind of talk to you about your heart. And then he, I can almost see him stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I forgot who I was talking to. I need to talk like I'm talking to children. All right, so let's talk about treasures. You like treasures, right? Let's talk about your eyes. You like things that you can see, right? You can see things. Let's talk about what you can see. Let's talk about your, your masters, those, who make, those people who make you do stuff. Everybody likes griping about their masters. Let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about food and clothing. We like talking about that stuff, right? And so and all, now you can imagine Jesus is getting the head nods, and he uses all of these things as illustrations, each one of these, to point to our heart. To highlights a very serious issue in our heart. And uh, right here what I'd like to do is highlight the fact that each one of these things that he brings up is a test. It's, a, it's something that should be a test for us. And I think we all need to get this place in our life where we're willing to test ourselves spiritually. We're willing to um, ask the hard questions and be honest with ourselves. 
and be willing to admit to ourselves and to God if we're off track. And then respond to that. And I'll give you a spoiler alert. Adam will eventually come to this. The end of Matthew chapter 7, he talks about the two foundations. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who doesn't act on the words is compared to the foolish man who built his house on the sand, the winds and the waves. It all falls down except for the one who acts on the words of Christ. This is where Jesus is leading. And so we've got to get to this point where when we ask ourselves the tough questions and we come to the conclusions in our heart, then we take action and do what's necessary to make our lives right with God. So the first test, there are four tests I see here. The first one, um, he uses he uses treasures to illustrate. The second test, he uses our eyes to illustrate. The third test, he uses our masters to illustrate. And the fourth test, he uses his creation. He uses some beautiful things of his creation um, and our physical needs to illustrate. So the first test, am I investing my life or am I wasting my life? Tough question number one, am I investing my life or am I wasting my life? We all know that we get one life to live. YOLO, right? You only live once. You, only, you get one life to live. That's not our excuse to go out and do whatever we feel like doing. That's not our excuse to go out and live it to the fullest as much as we desire. But it's a very strong call of God to say, you get one life to live for my glory. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Two kinds of treasures, one that lasts for eternity and one that does not. And he talks about one that nobody can get to, nobody on earth can touch. This treasure in heaven is inaccessible to rot, to rust, and to thieves. Nothing can get to that and steal it from you or steal it from God. Those things that last for eternity. And then there are the treasures that rot and rust and thieves can get to and can take from your life, including including the approval of man, which is what the Pharisees have been wrestling with. Jesus has been addressing the Pharisees in this passage. He also addresses the Gentiles who really focused on idolatry and the things they could touch with their hands and the Pharisees were all about trying to prove to people that they were godly and righteous in their hearts when in reality they were whitewashed tombs and Jesus calls them and says look you're seeking the approval of man you're going after the approval of man you have your reward which is temporary at best the approval of man as you guys know we strive after it but somebody can take that away in an instant All it takes is somebody finding out that dark secret that nobody knows about you. All it takes is somebody creating a a false image about your life. All it takes is somebody blowing up something on Facebook and then everybody thumbs upping it a million times. You know, that, uh, you know, so our reputation is, is weak. But there are many other things that we put our, put our trust in. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 through 14, the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes. If you haven't read it, you should. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon is wrestling with the point of life. He tried everything. He tried money. He tried women. He tried um, power. He tried property. He tried to achieve as much as he could possibly get, and he got all of it. God gave him the privilege of having 
anything and everything that he wanted. And at the end of it all, he said, it's all pointless. The one thing that matters the most is this. The conclusion, when all has been heard is, fear God, keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act into judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. God brings everything into judgment. So there are some things that last for eternity and some that don't. So here are some symptoms that your heart might be set on the things of earth that don't last for eternity. You might have a hard-heartedness toward people in need. If you're struggling with the fact of with having compassion for people who have need because our mind immediately jumps to the fact that maybe they're in that position because of natural consequences. Maybe they made, made bad choices and this is the life that they chose for themselves and they have to deal with that. And because of these things that may be true about them, we have this sense of a hard heart towards people in need. And it may have a may have root in the fact that maybe we're struggling with materialism in our own life. Our, our own possessions, our own things are consuming us and we're having a hard time letting those things go. And those things consume our mind, they consume our thoughts. This is a symptom that our mind may be more on the world than it is in the kingdom of God. Another symptom is extravagant living. God's given us possessions, God's given us money, God's given us privilege and power and influence, but we're using it all for our own personal selfish ambitions This could be a symptom that our treasure is here on this earth rather than in heaven. Maybe uh, we have this foolish fantasy that our life is defined by our possessions. We've pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. We've gone out and we've accomplished anything and everything that we desire. We've gone after our hopes and our dreams. And we can say, look at me, look at what I've done, look at what I have. And we kind of define our lives by these things. This may be a symptom that your heart is set on things of this world. Because in truth, all of those things can be taken away from us in a moment's notice. All it takes is a tragedy. All it takes is terrorism or a fire in the home or bankruptcy or a loss of a job. Uh, I used to feed the homeless in Panama City uh, on a regular basis. And I got to talk with a lot of those people. Some of those people were there because of addictions and bad life choices. But I did meet a few of them. It's very interesting who just recently they had a really awesome job. They had, um, they had a truck and they had a nice home and, uh, and they had all this great stuff. And here's this guy living in his truck without a job and receiving food in a food line because he lost his job because of cutbacks. And he had to make a choice. I either have to give up my truck or I have to give up my home. And he chose to give up his home because with his truck he could at least go find another job. That quick, all of his fortune was gone because, because what he put his stability in uh, was temporary at best. Now, God's not saying those things are evil to have and own and attain those things. In Proverbs 6, 6, he says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise. We're supposed to be wise about our material possessions and work hard. And then he says in 1 Timothy 5, 8, But if anyone does not prove, provide for his own family especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God calls us to be diligent and provide for our families. So owning and having possessions is not evil, but when we seek and strive after those things out of selfish ambition and covetousness, it's a symptom that we might be striving after the world. Here's a symptom of a heart set on heavenly treasures. Faith, hope, and love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you study about the spiritual gifts that God's given to all of us. He's given us gifts of of um, spiritual 
fruit. He's given us leadership, faith, evangelism, uh, all kinds of different qualities that each one of us may possess to work together as a body. But he says, one day there's coming a day when we will die or leave this planet, we'll be glorified, we'll, we will stand before the throne of God. But he says, there are three things that remain after all of this is done away with. There are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. And whatever we invest in this life, in faith, hope, and love, there's something about those three things that will last for eternity. I'm not sure exactly what that's going to look like on the other side of this earth. I'm not sure what that's going to look like in heaven, in the glory of God, but there's something about the investment I make in faith, hope, and love on this earth that lasts for eternity. And then my effort to lead people to, lead people to Christ. There, if I can lead somebody to Christ, it doesn't matter how much money or possessions or material goods it takes for me to do that. I have made an, an investment in the kingdom of God that lasts for eternity. And I have the privilege because I'm a Christian, of taking all the material possessions that I have and turning them, into, turning them into something that brings glory to God. Nobody else on planet Earth has the ability to transform things that are destined to perish into something that lasts for eternity. People try. They hoard, they take in, they, they store up and they save and they accumulate throughout life. And some people are so rich, but yet they're so empty inside because they realize everything's going through their fingers and they can't hold on to it. But there are some things that last forever. There are things that last forever in eternity, especially a soul, somebody who's brought to Christ. And if we can, as Christians, take those material possessions and transform those into something that lasts for eternity... Then, then we've accomplished something. But I think when I see this test, when I study it, when I look at it, I realize that I'm extremely convicted because there are, there's areas in my life where uh, I fall short. And so I look through this chapter and I come to Matthew 6, and he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And Jesus says, this is the solution. If you're struggling with your heart, if your heart is striving after the things of the world instead of the things of the kingdom of God, then here's the solution. You need to fall to your face and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek the kingdom of God first. That is the solution. Heart test number two. Our test number two is, am I filled with the light of God or am I filled with darkness? And this is the challenge that I face today. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. With my eyes, I can see and it seems to illuminate my body. I hear something, I look to see what it was. I smell something, I look to see what I smell. And so I look and my eyes illuminate to me. And Jesus is using this as an illustration almost to say that if we were blind, if we were to all close our eyes, we would see darkness and it would fill our lives. And he's saying, I'm not talking about your heart. I'm not talking about your eyes. I'm talking about your heart. And in your heart, if your eye is clear, if your heart is with Christ, if your heart is in line with Jesus Christ, walking with Jesus Christ, if you're walking in the Spirit of Christ, then your life will be filled with light. Your life will be filled with the life of Jesus Christ. But if your heart is far from Christ, if your heart is away from Christ, if you're walking in the flesh, then you'll find yourself walking in darkness, even as a Christian. In Galatians, Paul talks about the, the battle that we struggle with in our lives and how we struggle with our flesh. On one hand, we see the fruit of the Holy Spirit coming through our life, but on the other hand, we see the deeds of darkness coming through our life. And the more I walk in the deeds of darkness, the more I walk in shame and guilt and fear. 
And this is a dark life to live as a Christian. But God desires that I live free of that. He set me free from that. I don't have to live in that. But then he goes one step further and he speaks to those people in here who may have a darkness even greater than that. He says, if that darkness, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? At first that was kind of a mystery to me when I read it. But I realized what he was saying. He first talked about the Pharisees who prayed to be seen by men. And then he talked about those who gave to be seen by men. And then he talked about those who were fasting to be seen by men and receive the glory of men. Outwardly, they looked righteous. Outwardly, they appeared to shine the light of Christ. But in reality, in their heart, there was a deep and great darkness because what was on the surface was a facade. What was on the surface was fake. In the heart was a deep darkness. And I think there's only one person that can truly know in your heart whether or not that darkness is is real. It's between you and Christ. I can't look at your life and see it. I can see the righteousness that you portray on the outside. I can see what you try to show me, but only you and the Holy Spirit can answer that question. The darkness that you struggle with in your life, is it coming because you have never surrendered your life to Christ and you're living in darkness, or is it, become, is it coming because you've given your life to Christ, but you're struggling with walking in the flesh? So heart check number two, am I filled with the light of God or am I filled with darkness? The third and fourth test, I'm going to have to do really quick. Am I faithful to God and am I walking by faith? Am I faithful to God? Am I walking by faith? The fourth test, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And then he goes on and says, for this reason I say to you, don't be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They, don't, they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life. God uses two things there to test our lives, our masters. You can only serve one master at a time. You can have more than one boss, but you can't have two masters. By default, if we're trying to serve God and serve the world, we are only serving the world because God does not share worship. God does not share glory. And so he calls us to not divide our attention. In James, he talks about the double mind. He says, you pray, but you need to pray without doubting. Pray by faith without doubting. And that word doubting means double mind. It means on one hand, we want the things of God. We want the blessings of God. We read Matthew chapter 5, and it says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are gentle. Blessed are are those who hunger. They'll be satisfied. We want all these blessings from God, but at the same time, we still want the things of this world, and we still serve the things of this world. And God says, as long as you're trying to do both, you're not my, you're not my servant. And so God calls us to check our hearts in that regard. And in fact, in the Old Testament, repeatedly he called the followers of God adulterers and harlots. And it wasn't because of their act of adultery and harlotry. It was, again, another word picture. He was saying, you are going after idols when you promised faithfulness to me. You told me you'd be faithful to me, but every day you're going after idols. So many times I read through the book of Kings, and it says that this king did good in the sight of God. Most of the kings did evil in the sight of God, but every once in a while there was a king that did good in the sight of God, but that king refused to tear down the, the Asherah poles and the high places which were certain 
places in the city that were dedicated to worshiping false gods, and they still refused to take away those. They did pretty good at following God's will and God's command, but there were those little areas of our lives where we refused to tear down those idols in our lives, and I think there's places in our lives where we refuse to tear down the idols. And God says, we need to take a look and check our hearts, and then are we walking by faith, or do I live by worry and fear? Our world says, mayhem is at the door. You can watch TV and there's enough insurance companies to scare you out of every penny in your pocket. And we live by fear in most cases. In fact, our world tells us that we should make most of our choices based on fear. They don't say it that way, but that's ultimately what it means. And God says we live by faith. We trust him. We don't need to worry about the clothes that we put on or the food that we eat. In fact, look at my creation. See how I take care of them. God, in verse 26, we see that God values his people. In verse 30, we see that God takes care of his people. In verse 32, we see that God knows the needs of his people. In verse 33, we see that God rewards those who seek him first. If we have a God that will do that, then can we not trust him by faith and live daily by faith? And to me, that's the hardest one, is living by faith. Every day, I struggle with fear. In fact, by nature, I'm kind of an introvert. Every time I get up to do something like this, I'm scared, and I think, man, if I could just sleep in and say that my alarm didn't go off, then I won't have to get up there in front of all those people. And uh, God says, you need to trust me by faith. I say, okay, I don't feel worthy I don't feel prepared, I don't feel adequate, but I trust you, and I'll be obedient to you, because that's the calling that you've placed in my life. And everybody's calling is not mine, you have your own, and we, I think you can identify with that battle. Every day you face decisions like that, where you kind of say to God, can you just let me out of this one, please, help me not to have to deal with this. And then we say, no, this is the, God says this is the calling I have on your life, trust me. And I think obedience is some of the hardest when we have to step out and obey God and we know that it's going to put us in a tough spot. But we say, I'm going to trust you instead. So here's the, the key to this whole passage. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. If these heart checks have rung a bell in your life, in your heart, then the answer is to cry out to Jesus Christ because without the power of Christ, there will be no change. Let's pray. God, thank you for this wonderful group of people and uh, the body of Christ that you've allowed me to be part of. I pray that your Holy Spirit will lead us and challenge us and that you will equip us to trust you with our choices. God, I pray that you will help me and this church, this body of Christ, to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us, Lord, to have hearts that are filled with light, lives that are dedicated to the truth. I pray that your Holy Spirit will live through us. Lord, I pray that you will help us not to serve the master of, this, of, of our flesh in this, this evil world, but we will serve you. And God, I pray that you will help us to treasure only the things that last for eternity. And you will give us the ability and the wisdom to transform what we have that, will, that is destined to perish. Help us to transform it into things that last forever. Thank you for the work you're doing in us. And Lord, if there's a lost person in here who realizes that their heart is in darkness, I pray that they will see that you are the light of the world. I pray that they'll cry out to you for salvation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.